from Silicon Valley, the heart of startup land. It's Getting to Alpha, the show about creating innovative, compelling experiences that people love. And now, here's your host, game designer, entrepreneur, and startup coach, Amy Jo Kim. Jason Ria is a behavioral scientist and entrepreneur who knows how to leverage psychology to build better products. For over a decade, Jason has been at the forefront of habit design, working with industry leaders like Google and Walmart, and launching startups, including his current company, Persona. Jason knows that building habits and driving retention always starts with a deep understanding of your users. We're in the product design game to build solutions that make people's lives better. We're here to really understand our users, understand the people that we're building for, and we really want to create something that is, is meaningful for them. And I can't think of a better way of really measuring that than are people sticking with us? Are they here six months later, a year later, et cetera? I think habit formation is just really a wonderful way of just like boiling down what matters. Join us as we talk about habits, rewards, and why convenient theories like the power of nudges don't usually work in the real world. Welcome, Jason. Before we dive into habit design, tell us about your background. So at Stanford, I studied neuroscience. I did this major called human biology, but I was interested in behavioral neuroscience. So that was my focus. I really had a very in-depth behavioral neuroscience background, just really looking at like the brain. How does the learning system, the reward system modify how animals learn new things, adapt, behave? How does that relate to human behavior? And that was basically for that academic period of my life, my real focus. And then I met BJ when I was at Stanford, BJ Fogg, and I started working with him actually after I graduated. So I was in the Stanford Persuasive Technology Lab with him after I graduated. And that's just when we were really building this field of behavior design. That's actually when I was in the lab is when the term was coined. There was actually like a kind of like a vote on it and everything like that. So it was very, it was very cool just to be around at that time during this dynamic period when all these different companies like Facebook, Instagram, and stuff like that were popping up and engagement, retention behavior was really just becoming a focus of product design, right? And that was like really just, it was just very cool just to be in the Valley at the time and just to see people just really starting to think in a very sophisticated, nuanced manner about these kind of psychological and behavioral issues as it came to product design. So I was there. And then just over the years, I've just, I was hooked at that point after working in the lab with BJ, after seeing that kind of human psychology and human behavior insights about those things could be applied to product design, just I was just fascinated after that. So I've spent my entire career just applying research from different areas of the behavioral sciences. So tell us what you've learned about using behavioral science to build better products. So over the years, I've been really fascinated by like evolutionary psychology, social psychology, behavioral economics, you name it. Just if there's an interesting or a seemingly useful idea from any behavioral science subfield, I'll take it and I'll try it. And I've worked with Dan Ariely over the years helping him apply behavioral economics research to product design. I've collaborated with a lot of other people as well. Walmart recruited me to build out their applied behavioral science group. So we were like the first applied behavioral science group at a Fortune 50 company. Walmart was the Fortune 1 when I was working there. So it was the biggest company by employee base in the world and biggest, most revenue of any company in the world. And so it was really cool to, at that scale, run experiments, run tests, and just apply these ideas. And so I got to actually apply a lot of these ideas in store. So in the physical environment, not just the digital environment, and that really did actually change quite a few of my ideas about behavior design or like a applied behavioral science, if you'd say. 
everything I talk about, I've tested in the real world. This isn't just some like academic thing where it's just me pondering, right? The reason I'm against so against nudges, as somebody mentioned earlier, is I've tested nudges with huge sample sizes. And the nudge literature will say, hey, you're going to get an eight or 10 or 20 or whatever percent increase in the outcome variable that you care about if you, know, if you implement this nudge. And I've implemented so many different nudge experiments. And I just would always see that you'd get like no effect or maybe a tiny effect, positive effect or a tiny negative effect. I've just seen time and time again, just this nudge stuff in the real world in a complex environment just doesn't work. And so that's been my battle a lot of the times with people that are more academically minded is just they're running these experiments in these very tightly controlled conditions or they're torturing their data analyses to try and get an effect. And then I go out into the real world with companies and try this stuff. And I just see there's just no effects. So why should product designers care about habit design? Habit formation is the ultimate proxy that you're really solving a real problem, that you've really built something meaningful and something that people really find value in and that people really enjoy. Practically, right, habits are just very useful for a business. If you're a business and you have habitual users that are coming back day after day, week after week, you're going to get more money. You're going to get more brand loyalty. You're building that relationship with your users. It's very obvious. Of course, you're going to get greater retention, right? There's more of a switching cost if somebody really has this tight bond between the problem in their lives and in your product and they formed a habit around that, right? They're just, the switching costs are increased. It's just harder for people to break a habit than it is for them just to break any other sort of behavior. And as I mentioned just a little bit earlier, it's a sign you build something people actually want. And at the end of the day, that's like why we're in the game. That, that's why we're in the product design game is to really build solutions that make people's lives better. We're here to really understand our users, understand the people that we're building for. And we really want to create something that is, is meaningful for them. And I can't think of a better way of analyzing that in most cases. Of course, there are exceptions, but in most cases, I can't think of a better way of analyzing or of really measuring that than are people sticking with us? Are they coming back constantly? Are they here six months later, a year later, et cetera? I think habit formation is just really a wonderful way of just like boiling down what matters. So what's your definition of a habit? In order to um, discuss habits, we have to really understand like what a habit really is, right? It seems like every habit expert has their own definition. <laughs> I have my own definition as well. But I think that the definition that I have really gets at what a habit really is. So James Clear actually quotes me in his book, Atomic Habits. He quotes my definition of habit, which it's a reliable solution to a recurring problem. And so that's, I think, really for me, the most crystal clear, simple way of describing what a habit is. And it has huge implications, right, for habit formation design and for product design. And so for me, problems are like the foundation. They're the core of all habits. The reason that we as human organisms do things, the reason that we evolved to have limbs and evolve a brain that's plastic and can actually adapt and do different things is in order to solve problems in our environment, to solve survival problems, to solve other sorts of problems, to adapt, to grow. And I really think that approaching habit formation is fundamentally like habits or solutions to recurring issues that we encounter frequently. And so if you just take that insight and then you unwrap it, there are lots of very interesting insights that you come to. What separates a habit from a routine? I think a lot of this, especially in the self-improvement, self-development area, which is a little bit, it's separate from habit product design. In the self-improvement and self-development world in particular, I think that this distinction isn't really made, right? Habit, by its very definition, is supposed to be automatic. It's supposed to occur without a whole lot of thought. It's supposed to almost be like a, almost like a reflex where you get a stimuli in your environment 
that prompts you like, oh, cool, this issue just came to mind or this issue just prompted my neurology. And then suddenly before you know it, you're solving it. You're doing some behavior that takes care of the problem. So this is all to say that a core feature of habits, just if you just look at the behavioral science literature, is that they're automatic, don't require a whole lot of conscious awareness, if any conscious awareness. But a lot of the things that people are trying to do from a habit perspective actually require a lot of thought or a lot of a lot of willpower. So for example, if you're trying to start a new exercise routine, like to tap into the health behavior change angle for just one moment, most health behavior change problems, the reason that they're it's so hard to form habits around these things is that they're really hard, right? If you're trying to get somebody from a health behavior change point of view to exercise and they haven't exercised in years, it's going to take a lot of willpower. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's just going to be really hard to get them to do this, right? Exercise by its very nature is hard, right? That's the whole point, right? It's to do something effortful, challenging for your biology that gets your biology to then adapt, right? And get stronger. From that perspective, any, let's say, exercise-related behavior is going to be effortful. It's going to be challenging. It's going to require conscious thought. So almost every single health behavior that people try and get people to do it's not really a habit. It's a routine, right? Maybe one day it could become a habit when you get stronger, when it's much easier for you to do kind of those exercise or health-related behaviors. But in the beginning, at least, those things are always going to fall into the routine category. And it's just very important to understand the implications of that if you're going to effectively change behavior in that manner. An important part of habit design is rewarding the user for performing the right actions. Tell us about the right way to do rewards. And if you could share some common misconceptions that tend to steer designers in the wrong direction. Rewards are very important, right? It's what cements the habit in the mind of the performer. But my conception of rewards are a little bit different than that I think of most of the people that talk about this stuff. For me, rewards are really inherent to the behavior itself. So like I know somebody earlier mentioned intrinsic rewards. I think that for habit formation in particular, I really think that the reward has to more or less be intrinsic. It's a big topic, but I do think that rewards is classically conceptualized by a lot of people in the habit space or in the product design space as like points, money, coupons, incentives, the likes, social rewards, et cetera. I think that those in general are like, at least from my experience, are pretty ineffective at driving habit formation for a majority of the different habits that you'd be interested in kind of getting people to, to form. From my perspective is really that you have to pick for the target user group that you're designing for, you really have to pick the right behavior that is intrinsically rewarding for that target user group and for the target problem that you're trying to solve. I know that I just said, I just said a mouthful. There's a lot to unpack there. But in it, my perspective really is that if you have to rely on points or any of these what would be called extrinsic rewards for your habit formation design process, you fail already. Like it's not going to work out. So I really see that rewards have to be intrinsically a part of the behavior or the activity that you've selected. If you already have a product and you've already selected a behavior, there are often ways of just tweaking it slightly to make it intrinsically rewarding. So there's been a lot of talk over the years and like variable rewards, which is like a type of reward schedule being very important for habit formation. I think it's been largely overblown. And I actually think that if you are consciously trying to inject variable rewards into your product, I think it's in almost every case going to make the product worse. Certain types of rewards that are very compelling to us humans are variable by their very nature. But I think 
focusing on the variability is just a mistake. For example, social activity. If you interact with another human, it's going to be a variably rewarding experience. People are unpredictable. If you're interacting with another person, having a conversation with another person, let's say you start talking with a stranger, a lot of that conversation might not necessarily be all that interesting, but then maybe randomly they'll give you a compliment halfway through and it's like, whoa, that was cool. So just interacting with unpredictable humans just is like this amazing variable reward system. And if you look at like all the products that are focused on variable rewards, they're all social products, basically. Maybe there's some games, but a lot of games are social too, right? Like Fortnite is like a, it's a, it's a social experience just as much as it's a game, right? And so I really think that focusing on variable rewards has been a case of people missing the forest for the trees. It's like they're so focused on the reward schedule and the timing of the rewards that they don't see. The thing that's actually like really compelling about a lot of these quote unquote variable reward products is that they're social and we've evolved to be obsessed with other people and to to enjoy interacting with other people and people are unpredictable and they give us rewards at unpredictable moments on unpredictable schedules. The most effective reward when you're trying to build habits is often just some simple feedback, right? One of the most compelling products ever is Uber. And one of the great things about Uber is I remember when I was living in San Francisco and this is pre-Uber to get to my house in Bernal Heights. I would call a cab company and say, hey, I need to get a ride in half an hour. Can you send somebody? And you never knew if the taxi driver was coming, right? Sometimes like 45 minutes would pass and I'd have to call again. And I'd say, hey, is, I need to get a ride. I need to get to this party that I'm trying to go to. That's like my reward is getting to the party and having fun. And I called the cab company. I'm waiting for the cab. No one's ever coming. And so the great thing that Uber did was give you feedback. Hey, you need a ride? Cool. Like you just press this button and I'm showing you that actually while your problem hasn't been solved yet, while you haven't gotten to the party, which is like the reward that makes like the whole experience so great, we well, haven't gotten there yet. I'm taking care of it. Here's the person, here's their name, here's them driving down this street, here's them driving down that street. And so that's a great example of like feedback, bridging the gap between your current state and where you want to be, which is the rewarding state. And a lot of the most habit forming products, the products that just give us, just create a wonderful experience is that they provide us feedback along the way. And so a lot of the times, actually, the best reward is just some simple feedback. I actually think that all the focus on variable rewards and just these slot machine dynamics just really misses the mark in that actually um, variable rewards are the norm in nature. When we were like hunter-gatherers and we were like going out and hunting, eight times out of 10, let's say, you wouldn't score a kill, you wouldn't get a hunt, you wouldn't get like an animal. And if you just look at like most of, for most of human history, most of our activities, especially our jackpot-oriented activities, didn't really result in anything most of the time. Variable rewards were just the norm for most of kind of human history. And then with technology, the great thing is we've created these systems where you can get rewarded every time, where it's I can go into Instacart and get a steak every time, basically. And so actually, I think that in many ways, consistent rewards, which would be called continuous reward schedules are actually the evolutionarily novel thing. And they're the thing that like, I think really separates the all-star products that really become very habit-forming from the products that actually fail. And so I actually think that like the people that focused on variable rewards over other types of reward schedules have gotten it exactly backwards. Okay, so now let's tie this all together. What are some practical steps that product designers can take to build lasting habits into their products? Let's pretend you don't have a product yet and you're just like you're a founder or you're somebody that has a new idea and you want to build a habit forming product from the ground up. What should we think about first? What should we think about second? 
when it comes to habit formation, I really believe it's all about what I call behavior matching. I don't believe in universals in general, right? The one thing that product design has really taught me over the years is that if you're building a product, you have to really get into the weeds. You have to understand your users. You have to talk to your users. You have to ingest the content that your users ingest. You have to really do everything you can to gain that like deep empathy and understanding of them. There are some things that are universal, which is all humans want to communicate with other humans and be social. And that's why messaging apps are like retentive and ubiquitous. And it's like, you can build one app like WhatsApp and have billions of people use it or Facebook, right? Everybody wants to keep in touch with people that they know or people that they've met. They want to see how their lives are evolving, et cetera. But for most products, most products are more niche, right? And you're really building for not all of humanity, but you're building for like a specific target market or a specific user group in a specific place. And you really need to go down into the weeds, understand them, and just really empathize with them and understand everything about them. And the reason that that's so important is because you want to know, are we asking them to do something that one, they're comfortable with? Are we asking them to do something that they value, that they think is really going to add value to their lives? Are we asking them to do something that's like within their abilities, right? Are we asking them to do something that's too complex or too challenging given their specific background, skill sets, et cetera? And from my perspective, habit formation design, a lot of it is really about picking the right behavior, the right solution for your target audience to do. And if you pick the right thing, if you pick something for them to do that they see the value in, that they enjoy doing, that's within their kind of skill set of being able to do, if you pick something for them that really effectively solves their problem and you shape it the right way, most of your work's been done for you. Picking the right behavior, behavior matching is really so much of what like habit formation design is all about. If you pick the wrong behavior, if you pick the wrong activity, the wrong solution for them, the odds are against you, right? You really have to, I think, pick from the very beginning, the right activity, the right thing for the target user group that you're going after. Or, you know, a lot of times what happens, right? You see this in startups all the time is they'll build something for a specific target user group. And then they pit that user group doesn't want what they've built. And so they just pivot on the user group, right? They say, oh, cool. Instead of this being for high school teachers, let's pivot it to like restaurant owners or whatever, right? So they pivot on the user group side of things in order to get that behavior match. So I talk about behavior scoring, which is the process of taking the different possible solutions or behaviors that we want to ask that we're planning on like uh, asking the target market to do and then figuring out, okay, how good is this idea? How good is that idea? And then rank ordering them and figuring out which one we're going to use for habit design process. Okay, cool. Let's construct a product, a habit forming product from the ground up, taking all of the principles and all the ideas that we've gone over so far. Let's build something from the ground up based on that. This one is really all about, okay, most product managers are working on products that already exist. And so there's a different approach that you would take to like analyzing a product that already exists and applying these lessons in a way that's impactful. So this one is all about, okay, we're not building from the ground up. Instead, we're taking something that exists already and we're deconstructing it given kind of these perspectives and given this research. And we're learning how to apply these methods and these findings to our current product. And one of the things I talk to here, I talk about here is what I call the four E's of habit problem fit. I really think that there are kind of four major variables that determine whether or not you have behavior problem fit or habit problem fit, which would be just um, is the behavior slash the solution that we've picked matched to the target user group that we're building for. The four E's are really just breaking that down further so that we can actually think about it in a very concrete, granular way.
Thank you. So you're overlapping with a lot of our most favorite topics, and it's awesome, like feedback being the best form of reward and debunking that external rewards are the solution. And then you touched on variable reinforcement mm-hmm. and how important it is to pick the right behavior if you're going to solve mm-hmm. a habit problem. And many of those issues are commonly put forth as the solution to your engagement problems. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it boils down to Skinner box mechanics, backfiring. Mm -hmm. That's my takeaway. A lot of people have been trained in behavior science. Some people lightly, some people deeply, right? Like you Mm -hmm. and me to some extent. I did lab in school and all that. You and I have very similar backgrounds. And the thing is, like as a psych student, when I first did behavior lab and saw that those mechanics could make mice or pigeons do things, it blew my mind. I thought, oh, my God, this is how you shape behavior. This is amazing. And I remember feeling that. But then as a product creator, trying to implement it, I could keep seeing what happened. And so I think that your experience elbow deep in product creation versus punditry. Mm-hmm. I would like you to say undistilled, why doesn't it work? Why isn't that the silver bullet that's been yeah. solved? Well, I think What's it's just the wrong here? level of analysis in general. Like if you're like, I, I think that thinking about reward schedules is, um, it's almost never useful in like a, in, in a product design process. The time should be spent really thinking about how do I reliably solve a key pain point or a key issue for my audience? It shouldn't be thinking about how do I delight them unpredictably in some of the time, right? I really think that the focus for product designers should be on continuous reward schedules. Let me just zoom out a little bit. So some people create games. That's great. Some people create the equivalent of like, let's say a digital slot machine. And for them, it's like using kind of like getting obsessed with reward schedules and uh, building all these overlapping reward schedules may be a worthwhile activity. But I think that what most of us are trying to do is create what I'd consider like utilities, right? We're trying to create products that solve some problem in users. Well, and make our customers' lives better. Yeah, for sure. That's not how you make your customers' lives better. No. No, if you're building a utility, your focus really should be on every time somebody comes into my app or my product, I want them to get what they need. Like if I try to make Instacart uh, variably rewarding, um, what I would do is make it so that like some of the time you can find all the groceries that you want or that sometimes you order and your order gets canceled. But the next time that you order, it comes through. There's nothing useful about arbitrarily adding variability into your reward schedule, your reward system in a utility app, which is what most apps are. I think instead the focus really should just be on every single time a person comes in, I just want them to have a great experience, get what they need, you solve their problem, which is the reward, right? For most apps. I can't think of a single instance in which I've seen somebody take the variable reinforcement idea, apply it to a non-game and for it to make the product better in any way. I just think it's kind of like one of these ideas that like, if you aren't well studied in, in kind of the behavioral sciences, if you haven't thought about this stuff for a long time, you're just like, oh, wow, that's same, that sounds scientific and compelling. But when you actually try and practically apply it, like it's just kind of a dead end. Well, if you're going to take that toy away from me, what can I do? 
And that's where your step-by-step system comes in, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all about picking a solution or behavior that's intrinsically rewarding and intrinsically compelling for the target market you're building for. My approach is really all about yeah, what I call behavior matching or behavior selection. It's really about just like making sure that the core activity, the core action inside of your app, your product, your service, it is the thing itself. It is rewarding. Is like uh, solves their problem in a way that's uh, you know enjoyable, easy, effective, in a way that's exciting. That's really like what my system is all about. It's just doing that in a very systematic and clear-headed way. Right, and that's why you have to know who you're designing for. So thank you so much for your time, Jason. Oh, it's my pleasure. Bye. Thanks for listening to Getting to Alpha with Amy Jo Kim, the shows that help you innovate faster and smarter. Be sure to check out our website, gettingtoalpha.com. That's getting2alpha.com for more great resources and podcast episodes.